Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy Dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. Listeners, you have no idea how many times in that short segment that Matt personally attacked me. He cut me deep just now. And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. Holly, uh, your chance to get back at me for all those times that I've treated you bad. I hope whoever the composer is, they use a piano a lot in the music. (laughs) (laughs) Get (laughs) him. Oh, you got me. You got Mm -hmm. me. I hated the piano in Game of Thrones. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. We're going to start off today with a stat for the episode. It's the stat of the episode. Matt Smith during his time running with The Crown, earned $520,000 for 10 episodes of that series, ran two series. So he makes $520,000, $52,000 an episode. Assuming that he makes that same amount, probably more, then to date, through five episodes, he's appeared in approximately 65 minutes of the show, for an average of about $4,000 per minute of screen appearance time. Now, the highest of these was probably episode two, where he averaged uh, $5,943 per minute. The lowest being episode four, where he appeared for about 17 and a half minutes, And he only made $2,971 per episode. But he is averaging right now about $4,000 per minute of screen time. That's your stat of the episode. It's the stat of the episode. And welcome to Before the Dragon. My name is Matt, if you don't know. Thanks for finding the podcast. Thanks for sharing the podcast. We really appreciate it when you tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, when you share the YouTube, just search for Before the Dragon Podcast on YouTube. That's the word before. Or by following us on Twitter at the letter B, the number four, the Dragon Pod on Twitter. We love it when you send us feedback. Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. M A T T S audio blog at gmail. Dot com or leaving comments on the website, mattsaudioblog.com. Same spelling. Wow. Every time I think that I get kind of a framework for which I can judge an episode, for which I can rate an episode, what I find is, is they throw me a new curve. This one, I'm giving a nine out of 10 once again, but for completely different reasons that I've given any other episode a nine or an 8.9, or a 9.5, or whatever out of 10. This one was all about tension. There was so much tension in this episode, you could cut it with a knife. I'm not kidding. It felt like a Breaking Bad or a Better Call Saul episode in terms 
of the way scenes had such tension within them, either because you knew what was going to happen or the tension between the characters. And there were a lot of revelations magnificently portrayed by some of the actors in this episode in some key scenes, which I can't even really talk about because I feel like they would be book spoilers, how it adds context to the larger picture that we'll go back on a rewatch. If you've never heard of this story before and you'll say, wow, that's where that happened. And again, I won't point any pointers towards what, but it was simply amazing to see the recognitions of things across faces and to see how things will play out maybe a little bit over dramatically at some points, but nonetheless really well done. I, I, I loved it. There were huge events in this episode, two murders, two out and out murders. Okay. Let's be technical with Damon. He finished the job. The horse had already done the job. But what was that look between him and the horse? What was he doing to upset the horse before it reared back and hurt this poor Royce woman who I got attached to in just seconds from the for her most first moment of dialogue? Her just sitting on a horse. What an amazing sequence that was. And to have this happened to her, whether it was by Damon's initial design or not, it doesn't matter. It happened. And then she had to throw that last insult. And that's why he came back with the rock. Wow. It was just amazing. Murder two. Sir Joffrey. Hmm. Fancy that his name's Joffrey and somebody wants to beat him to death. That's never happened before in this universe, this HBO universe, where everybody wants to beat the heck out of a Joffrey. Uh, Kristen Cole, unbelievable the way he came unhinged. All set up by the fact that all of this stuff that happened with him and Rhaenyra, and then Rhaenyra tells him, hey, I've established with Lenor that we're going to have an open relationship and you and I can still have our relationship. And he wanted something more because he needed something to restore the name that he had felt he'd lost by what he had done. All of that culminating in Alicent, who is being pressured by her father with actual good advice you know, that it's up to her to start to take things into her own hands or otherwise we've seen heirs killed before. Think of all of the bastards that Joffrey, King Joffrey killed in season two of Game of Thrones. This is not uncommon. Hightower, Otto, is being very realistic with his fears about what he's projecting to Allison. I wish he could have just said, I love you to his daughter, but evidently that's not the way that he can say, I care about you. Instead, he has to put it in a way that like, what do you think Rainier is going to do with your kids? And how are you going to throw yourself on her mercy at that point? And 
between that and the Kristen Cole revelation, where she realizes that Rhaenyra withheld a bunch of truths from her and that it cost her her father to be kicked out. That's where the tide turns for her and her appearance at the wedding feast, the initial wedding feast that ended up turning into the the pre-wedding dinner, uh, more like the rehearsal dinner. Her appearance to interrupt her husband's speech quite intentionally to appear in green, which the Strongs realize are is is what the glow of the beacon of the high tower is when you know the uh old town or the reach is calling men to arms to war war has been declared and can you blame Allison? she's putting all of this faith into the system that she trusts that Rhaenyra's system or Rhaenyra being the heir is the system. And she's fine with that. And she's finding out that the person who is the object of the system is doing things that she shouldn't be doing things that she found appalling last episode, but then kind of came to an understanding that she believed Rhaenyra when Rhaenyra was saying, no, I would never do things like that. And then finding out that she did it with her own Kingsguard. Allison's perspective in this was an amazing journey. This particular episode, as was Kristen Cole's, you know, as was, uh, Lenore's, his tragic day. How's he going to feel about Rhaenyra from here on out. I mean, where they had a partnership before, or at least an agreement, what's he going to do now? The person that he wanted to do those things with is out of his life permanently. I mean, Rhaenyra could at least still have Kristen Cole as a King's guard. Although given where Kristen Cole was at the end of this particular episode, wow. Uh, and Alicent, just happening to show up there. I'm telling you, Allison has declared war, or at very least, she has circled the wagons to protect herself. And I can't blame her for that at all. Now, what kind of an agreement will her and Kristen Cole come to? I'm not certain. Uh, but it sure seems awfully convenient that Kristen Cole uh, is about to eliminate himself and Allison it seems, has come to his rescue. Where do you think his allegiances are going to go? So I loved the way all of that was put together. Another thing about Kristen Cole that I loved, Rhaenyra was about to tell him about the prophecy. When she says the Iron Throne is looming larger than us and she wants it set us on a path, she's about to tell him. She's a She implicitly trusts him but he of course is hurt by the one thing that doesn't show trust she won't leave all of this behind the thing is is that she has this larger thing looming and she's trying to share it with him i think if he could have just stood still for two more minutes 
and heard what she was about to tell him, things might have turned out a heck of a lot differently this particular episode than they did. Weddings in any Game of Thrones show never go good. This is a horrible wedding, not like a red wedding horrible, not even really like a purple wedding horrible, because at least there was a mystery around that. There's no mystery around this, although I did love the way that they shot it. I love the way that Rhaenyra and Damon were having their conversation in Valyria, and she was really starting to tell him off, and he was looking You know, he grabbed the back of her neck and then all of a sudden all you see is a crowd scuffling and everything and you have no idea what's going on. You have the same perspective as the people up on the high table, Viserys, Allison. Nobody knows what's going on at all or Corlys or Rainey's or whatever. Amazing. So, so well done uh, to keep it a mystery. And then finally, you've got Kristen Cole just beating the snot, beating the life out of Sir Joffrey, who really had come to him with the proposal that I think would make sense given their responsibilities. Although it, it appears that Kristen Cole is now done with the whole thing with Rhaenyra and what have you, uh, at, at least as far as uh, ever soiling his cloak again goes. But I guess he felt like he was protecting her because Sir Joffrey knew that they were together. He certainly wasn't protecting himself. I I don't think that that was, you know, it was nothing that self-motivated. But, man, was it incredibly intense as we try to fight through to figure out who the heck's fighting. And, uh We haven't seen a face look that gross, I don't think, since the first episode. And prior to that, I mean, I had I had the whole, uh, you know, Oberyn Martell vibes of of just the eyes kind of bulging out. And although I guess it was the mountain actually sunk Oberyn's eyes in. So that's probably not a very good comparison. I just don't like seeing things done to the face. I don't like seeing things done to the face that just hurts me every time. Not that I, I mean, you couldn't do anything to my face to improve or make it look any worse. But in terms of me taking a beating, but it's still, it's just, it's, it's so, it's so personal when it's to the face or when part of a cheek is gone and what have you. And so we have a shotgun wedding and, uh, I just don't know how Lenore's going to feel about this uh, from here on out. His life has been ruined, first by this proposal, uh, and then he, he finds somebody who's willing to agree to an open relationship with him. Uh, and Sir, Joff- Sir Joffrey, even the kissing knight, even points out to him you know, that this is kind of a blessing in a way because then they can still be together and he can be a sworn protector and what have you. But now... All of that's taken away from him. Now he's stuck being married to a woman that he can't possibly be attracted to. Corlys and and Rhaenys already know this. They're very aware. The whole family is aware. And Viserys evidently is not. Most of the courtiers are evidently not. But it 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 just has to be 
it's just such a disaster for Lenor. Um, and, uh, you know, Viserys, it, it, finally, I, he's so weak in this episode. And I don't mean, you know, morally weak or what have you. I just mean, you know, this illness is really starting to get to him. Uh, the bleeding, the sickness, um, finally passing out at the end of the episode, collapsing. Who knows what happened there? We'll have to wait what happens next, which, by the way, I don't know that we're going to really get a uh, detail as to what uh, happened to him and how he recovered or what he recovered. But it seems to me that we are at a point where we are saying goodbye to two wonderful actresses, uh, Millie Alcock and Emily Carey, who have really, really carried these first five episodes. I think we're about to do the age up now. We're about to skip quite a bit into time. Um, and this uh, needs attention because if it's not for Millie and Emily's performances in these episodes, I don't feel like we're invested enough in these characters. I mean, if you don't get this part right, this beginning part right, and you don't get invested in Rhaenyra and you don't get invested in Allison, then the series on a whole is going to be a failure because we now know this series is about Rhaenyra and Allison. And it, they, Millie and, and Emily have done such a fantastic job with their portrayal of these characters. Um, I, it's going to take me a minute to get used to having Emma Darcy and Olivia Holt take over those roles, but it's, it's about to happen. So I, I just want to give a big round of applause, uh, to Millie and Emily and thank them for investing me, not just in this story, but in these characters. I don't need any kind of prophecy or anything like that, even though Rhaenyra was about to share it with Kristen Cole. I don't need any big thing. I don't need any big mystery. All I need is to care about characters, and they really achieved that. I cared about Otto this particular episode. I thought, you know, actually, as I look back, he's been saying similar things all along. And it's only when he puts it to his daughter in the best way that he can, I don't know, vocalize that he actually cares about her even though he's done many, many things that would indicate otherwise. Uh, this concern for her safety, if it's just a ploy, then he is even the biggest, bigger scumbag than anybody uh, in the Game of Thrones universe. But I, I felt like it was, it was genuine, his concern for Allison. I really did. What else is there to talk about in this particular episode? I don't know. Uh, Damon, really? What a dude. I mean, I, I just, every time I think I've got a handle on who he is and, and how he is, um, then it just, you know, everything just flips. He He is the literal Targaryen coin. He's both sides of it. Sometimes he's amazing. Sometimes he is just awful, you know, and it's rather than just flipping the coin and whether the child will be one way or the other. This one, the coin is just kind of spinning. It just keeps spinning in the air. And sometimes you see one side, you see the heads and sometimes you see the tails. 
that talk with the other, I guess, who the other Royce, uh, who may have been related to uh, his dead wife. That was just so cut, cold, and dry, and evil. You know, the the moment of passion when Rhea actually gives him that last insult. I can't forgive him for it. It's murder. Um, although she probably wouldn't have survived anyway. But I can't. I can't forgive him for that. Of course, but I could almost see somebody as unstable as him coming unhinged and doing what he did. The thing I can't see is just how cruel and cold he can be to people who actually cared about his former wife. Just wow. I'm just blown away. And every scene, as I said before, so much tension. In fact, that's going to be my three words. So much tension. I know, not very original. But, man, that's going to be my three words for this particular episode. And my brothel mates. Hmm. Sir Kristen Cole and soiled capes. Soiled cloaks. Soiled white cloaks. Sir Kristen Cole and soiled white cloaks. uh, Because uh, (laughs) he's found a way to break just about every oath he possibly can. That he can say it was to protect Rhaenyra or what have you, but uh, I mean, that was a little bit extreme. And I don't think if he'd have just kind of paid heed to Sir Joffrey, then he probably, uh, you know, or, or thought about what Sir Joffrey was actually saying, that that might have happened, might not have happened. But he's in he's at such a boiling point because of what Rhaenyra has done. And his absolute values uh, also get in the way here, causing him to actually destroy more of his absolute values. So, yeah, poor Kristen Cole. But Kristen Cole and uh, Soiled White Cloaks is my brothel mates for this time around. As for a Seven Hells update, I got to go back and check the tape on Lenore. I really do because uh, I don't think that he's I know that he didn't say a dragon's name. Uh, However, I don't know um, that he didn't curse. And if so, then I will be punished. Uh, Everybody else pretty much escaped punishment. I Holly, once again, always comes close. Her characters end up in there and you think, oh, man, that's he's going to say it. And then they, they don't say anything. Uh, Susan Scott Free. Stephanie, if you recall from our last Seven Hells drawing, accidentally she drew an instant death punishment. So she will have a punishment to pay somewhere down the line. But her other draw, Masaria, nothing doing. Uh, Masaria wasn't even in the episode. So we're all good there for her. Um, Susan didn't have anything. John had Damon. Damon used some choice words this particular episode, so he is punished yet again. He'll be paying a punishment this week from last week or the week before. I don't remember which, uh, where he will be doing I'm Jon Snow podcaster. So he will have to include something 
in the form of Jon Snow within each take that he does. Kelly had Christian Cole, and uh, I wouldn't have expected words like that to come out of his mouth. Uh, but once Rhaenyra is basically saying, you know, you can be my on-demand guy, uh, he ain't having any more of it, and he used the F word uh, very emphatically. I mean, not a whole bunch of times, but uh, he stressed that word really hard. So both Kelly and John are punished, and that's the way that it goes for Seven Hells. That's all I've got. Listen, you know, I babbled on and I ramble and I do all of these things, but I really would love it if you would set me straight. If you think that I'm not saying or interpreting things right or whatever, feel free to tweet at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. Send us your three word description while you're at it. Send us your best coupling, your brothel mates. Uh, again, brothel mates doesn't have to be two people as I demonstrated, you know, a knight and white cloaks, soiled white cloaks. Uh, that that was my uh, brothel mace this time around. Send me your general thoughts about the episode. There's multiple ways you can do it, like tweeting to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter, or you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or you can leave comments on our website posts. Find everything that I do at mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog dot com or you can leave comments on youtubes if you're watching these on youtubes please share the channel please subscribe please like do that for other things too like our audio podcast platforms leave a written review on apple podcasts or whatever that really helps us to get more noticeable and to grow our community uh share the podcast with your friends if you like what we're doing here and hopefully they'll like it too and if not i hope i didn't cost you a friendship anyway That's me. That's me for this episode. Take care. Bye.